And uh, that's somebody who really needs no introduction. The people who watch TV or listen to radio. He has been the star of WOR, the star of his own program on uh, PBS called Gene Shepherd's America. Ladies and gentlemen, Gene Shepherd. Well, uh, well, I think uh, we take things too, too seriously. I mean, this, this 
In fact, we don't take things seriously enough with pompous, which is not the same as being serious. And so whenever I see a newsman look right out at you, now my view of Watergate, I mean, I'm bottled because I can see him five minutes later sitting in the bar and knocking down the scotch and saying to his friend, how'd you like that airlifting thing I did last night? <laughs> in other words, pomposity is not the same as seriousness, and I think, I think that we're too pompous in the mediums. And, and uh, I mean, we're, here we are. We're, it's a beautiful day. We're, we're sitting here uh, on the docks, and the tugboats are going by, and there was a couple of empty beer cans floated by. I was reading labels, sitting there and watching beer going by. The helicopter went by. A Coast Guard boat went by, and these three Coast Guard guys drifted over here, and I heard one of them say, what the hell's going on there? <laughs> they looked in the tent, and they drifted away. And yet I've not heard anybody mention much today on the show what a great thing, you know, it is just to be sitting here and everybody's been talking about what happened in the year 1924. I mean, I, I'm sure that the spirit of Calvin Coolidge is still with some people. <laughs> but heaven help us. Uh, did you know, I'll tell you one thing, though, I just went sitting off here to one side. Did you know that the, that the day that WNYC went on they had a ceremony just like this, an outdoor ceremony. And just when it went on the air, there was a fantastic clap of thunder. I'm serious. <laughs> Down came the water. <laughs> and everybody was standing around wearing dress suits, and the orchestra was being led by Vincent Lopez. Vincent Lopez led the first band on... WNYC, and I'll bet he couldn't even get on the air here today <laughs> with all those German recordings. <laughs> but seriously, uh, when I heard about that, I thought, you know, that's highly symbolic, uh, the fact that there was a giant uh, clap of thunder when WNYC went on. And uh, today, did you know that WNYC has the most listeners of any non-commercial radio station in all of America? That means it has over 32. <laughs> All kidding aside, it does have a great listening audience. And, and uh, I personally uh, listen to WNYC probably more than any other radio station that I listen to during the day. If I'm listening, I listen to WNYC. I happen to be a bug on classical music. I enjoy it. Although I wish, my personal feeling, I wish WNYC had more jazz. I mean, really good jazz. Uh, I'd like to see uh, a little more emphasis placed on contemporary American society. Close down the mic. <laughs> I really would. I, I, I could enjoy a good two-hour show in the afternoon, you know, listening to Louis Armstrong records. Uh, no other station in the in, in a, certainly in New York does it. And I would I would personally like to see a show that involves the audience. In other words, uh, there's a certain feeling of, of, of uh, they're giving this to you, but it's not coming back. Now, here's a crowd that listens to the NYC, and I've rarely seen such a motley horde. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's kind of great to see a city guy. I never thought of the WNYC audience, you know, the cross in the back of the guy sitting there chewing mail pots tobacco. He's spitting on the floor. 
and up in the front is a lady who obviously takes accordion lessons. And uh, <laughs> the whole thing has got a kind of a kind of a New York quality to it. And I I think would you would you like to hear me tell a story for you today? I mean, everybody. <laughs> Well, I, I, I suppose the story has to do, since we're dealing with radio here today, I suppose the story has to do with radio. I'll tell you a radio story. There isn't a one of us today in America, in uh, the 20th century, who has not been affected by the media. Not one of us. I mean, you'd have to be 100 years old to have, have grown up and not been affected by the media. Whatever the media is, movies, television, radio, all the rest of it. And I'll never forget, I think most of us, in a way, our lives have been affected by the media in ways that we don't think. For example, how many of you secretly feel cheated when you watch a television commercial and your life doesn't measure up to that commercial. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you like to be so rich that uh, you could call up a plumber because you got tea stains in the sink? <laughs> you notice that the lady plumber is only dealing with tea stains. The sink is never overflowing on the floor, you know, with the cockroaches running out from under the... <laughs> And so, you know, your life begins to have, have, have a feeling of inadequacy because if you notice the cars on television and the roads that people drive on, the television roads, not one of them looks like Fulton Street. <laughs> and nobody ever writes four-letter words on the side of a car in a TV commercial. The other day I came out and there was my car in the back of the trunk. Somebody had written a very creative epithet. Airedale had stopped by the left rear tire. Left his mark. I said, by God, that's my life. That's not the life of a television commercial person. Where everything works. I wonder how many people in this crowd have tried right guys and it didn't work. <laughs> Everything is so great at that television, you know. And so I remember the first time this happened to me. I wonder how many of you remember the first time you discovered that your life was not at all the same as the lives that they promised you'd live through the commercial. That first moment of disillusionment, let's put it this way, the first moment of true knowledge. I'm a kid, right? Walking around. Eight years old. The world is a great, big, fantastic candy apple. Everything is right. I used to think my old man was 17 feet tall. He'd sit there in his underwear, Drinking a can of Pops Blue Ribbon after his breakfast. And I used to admire him, you know. <laughs> and, and my mother, on the other hand, you know, my mother, I always remember my mother standing over the sink in the kitchen with these aluminum rheostats in 
<laughs> get this Chinese red chenille bathrobe. Lump sprung the band, you know, I'm done. Have a little petrified egg on a lapel. Once in a while, she's looking down in the sink, and the sink would go. <laughs> Up would come a half a pound of coffee ground. From next door, by the way. <laughs> you now, my mother and Mrs. Gruner swapped coffee grounds through the sink, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I'd come home from school. See, I went to the Warren G. Harding School. Now, how is that for a start in life? To go to a school named after, admittedly, the worst president in the history of the United States. That is, of course, up to now, naturally. Well, let's face it, some kid is going to the Richard M. Nixon School. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and that's probably just like us. We had, we had in our auditorium, we had, the, we had a curtain, you know, that hung in the air. We didn't know who hiding, you know. This was an ancient historical character, though, you know. Now, a lot of guys are going to say, well, he must have gone there when Harding was present. No way. <laughs> Harding was as much part of the past as Ulysses Grant, Beowulf the Elder, all the other great men of the past. And we had a curtain in our, in our auditorium in the Warren G. Harding School. And above the curtain, you know how they had the curtain in the auditorium, we had the school insignia, and it was this gold teapot dome. We didn't know what it meant. <laughs> a dollar sign's coming down out of it. <laughs> what it is, it's an in-hock agricola conk, which means get all you can. <laughs> There I was, you know, going to school, and it was on the south side of Chicago, and if you know anything about the south side of Chicago, you got to have guts just to be a kid there, just to be there. And you'd smell the stockyard, just like we're smelling the river, the smell that can drifting in. And every night, I would come home from school with excitement. Because at 5.15, we had this radio on top of the refrigerator. It was made out of white plastic. <laughs> had this round airplane dial. And by the way, I think we bought it with a crack in it. It came with tape on the side. And it always had a hum. It'd go, tuning between the stations. And then you'd hear Bing Crosby, Sweet little honey. Heavenly flower mine. My mother would hang over the sink listening to Bing Crosby sing about sweet Leilani with a Brillo pad in her hand. And the coffee grounds coming up. And Crosby singing sweet Leilani. Today I wonder, what the devil was she thinking? That was sweet Leilani. Heavenly flower. I'd come home every night at 5.15 because on the radio came a radio show. I remember I'm living in the south side of Chicago. Nothing but the sound of pool balls, fist fights, stockyard. At 5.15, a show came on and they would sing this theme song. Who's that little chatterbox? The one with curly auburn locks. Who do I see? 
And an announcer would come on, and this is the point of the story. It was my first real knowledge of what an announcer can do. He'd come on every night and say, Hello, fellas and gals. This is Pierre Andre speaking. It's time for another meeting of the Little Orphan Annie Secret Society. A secret society that all good drinkers of bubble beans belong to. Get your pins out, kids, because immediately following tonight's adventure, there will be a secret message from Orphan Annie herself. And now let's get to today's adventure. As you'll remember, Orphan Annie said to Joe Corntassel just as the pirates were coming up over the horizon. Pirates? We that pirates on the south side of Chicago. A lot of guys that type and gas stole her caps. And then, at the end of the broadcast, on would come what was to be my final educational tool that led me to what I am today. Pierre Andre would come back and he'd say, All right, fellas and gals, set your pin at B12. Here's a message from Little Orphan Annie herself. Are you ready? Set 22. Eighteen, nine, thirty-four. He could get more out of just numbers than Orson Welles could get out of King Lear. Thirty-six, fourteen, eight, nine, thirty-two, seven, sixteen, three. And there is tonight's message from Orphan Annie herself. Don't forget, boys and girls, if you'd like to join the Orphan Annie Secret Society, send in the silver inner seal from a can of Ovaltine, the rich chocolatey drink. Good night. Let me go on. Let me have a silence. All I could do was to go into the kitchen, make a salami sandwich. I was a member of one of the most subtle outgroups of all. I grew up in a non-overseen drinking neighborhood. <laughs> I had no pin. <laughs> and you had the sense out there in the darkness of millions of kids decoding, getting the real message. When I think about this, I wonder what Annie is saying to the real members. The old man is sitting there with his can of beer. When did you first discover your old man was basically a slob? I wanted to be a member. Well, three, four months go by, and one day I'm walking home down through the alley, coming home from the Warren G. Hiding School with my buddy Schwartz. And we used to walk along and we kick garbage. How many ex-garbage pickers are there in the crowd? You used to find great stuff, you know, in the garbage in the alley. Wow. 
Half of my education came early from finding things I shouldn't have found. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> there was always one kid that knew, you know. <laughs> well, one day I'm walking, oh, it was a historic day, I'm walking down through this alley with Schwartz. Garbage. But all of a sudden, right there in front of me, I see a can of Ovaltine. Somebody's thrown out a can, you know. Well, I'd never really seen a can. There's this Ovaltine on I picked it up, and it had a, like a metal top, and I popped the top off. And there, inside the can of Ovaltine, was a silver inner seal. Somebody just pushed it in, used the Ovaltine, and threw it out. How's that for conspicuous consumption? Threw out the silver inner seal. I took that silver in his seal. I put it in an envelope, and I wrote a letter, Dear Orphan Annie. I drink oval tea all the time. I'm sorry, I admitted I lied. I love your program. Say hello to Pierre Andre for me, and say hello to Sandy for me. Please send me my pin. G.P. Shepard, Jr. And I sent it to the little orphan Annie, Checkerboard Square. How's <laughs> that for an American shrine? <laughs> checkerboard Square. I put that thing in the mail. And I started away. And every day the mailman would go by our house, you know. Once in a while he'd come up. And I'll never forget those moments when he would come up to our house. He would always deliver a letter marked occupant. My old man would get so bucked. How the hell do they know? Inside the letter it always says, $300 on your signature on. You're in trouble. And they don't even know his name. And I kept waiting. And waiting for the mail. Three weeks went by. And then that his moment arrived, I came home, and there on the dining room table, next to this bowl of waxed bananas, was a big fat letter that had bumps all over, addressed to Gene P. Shepard Jr., and it came from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Chevacord Square. I picked it up. You can hear it laugh. <laughs> Ever since that time, I've had that same excitement when I pick up a letter that rattles. How many of you get excited when you get a fat letter that has bumps on it? I tore it open. I poured it out of my hand. And there it is. A gold membership card. It says, to be a member in perpetuity in good standing and to be given all the rights of proving a member in good standing of Little Orphan Annie's Secret Society. Gene Parker Shepherd is hereby a life member of the Secret Society. Signed, Pierre Andre. He was the announcer. Co-signed, Little Orphan Annie. And in ink, My first membership card. 
that's an important thing for an American. I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I've got dozens now. Diners Club, SO Cars. I'm a member of a very select group. The Leaders Digest Life Membership Club. Book of the Month Club. All my elegant clubs. And that night, I sat next to that radio with an entirely different view. I was a member, and most importantly, the best kind of a member. I was a fake. Boy, there is nothing sweeter than to get into something you shouldn't be in. <laughs> get a badge and everything. <laughs> Well, I'm sitting next to that radio that night. The alarm rate comes on. All right, fellas and gals, get out your pen. There's going to be a message tonight from Little Orphan Annie. Ovaltine drinkers, and it's an impairment. I sat there with my secret decoder pen with simulated gold plastic knobs. I had my notebook out. My school notebook had out in front of it. I had a pencil. I was all set. And then came the end of the show. I was ready. The kid walked by. He didn't have a <laughs> My brother was the only guy I knew who could make his nose run at will. That troll would dribble down on his tennis shoes. <laughs> his, his art medium was the wine. I remember just standing next to the radiator practicing. The old man would say, would you shut up? One year, my old man had to feed my kid brother with a plumber's helper and a screwdriver. He used to eat. But this night, I was sitting next to the radio I was in, and on came that message. All right, boys and girls. Here's a message from little orphan Annie herself. A secret message. Words from orphan Annie herself. Set your pin at B6. B6, please. Okay. Here's the message. Got your pen and pencil out. Write it down. Seven. I'm not seven. Twenty-two. This is the first one I'm actually writing. Nine. Thirty-four. Eight. Sixteen. Thirteen. Eight, two, twelve, thirty-two. And he came out with this message. I wrote it down. I've got it now. And so I, fellas and girls, decode that message and don't forget it's secret. Tomorrow night, be here at 5.15 for another adventure as Little Orphan Annie fights the pirates of the China Seas. And so I ran with that message, and I went to the only room in the house where a boy of nine can decode in privacy. <laughs> and you know where that room is. I went in and I locked the door. I've got the message. And by the way, we had a, a, we had a, a, a kind of a convention in our house. The minute I went in there, my kid brother had to go. It was an automatic reaction. Probably psychological. I'd lock the door and immediately, you know, my mother would open up and let Randy in. Oh, let Randy in. It's a secret. Shut up, Randy! Oh, And I squatted down there in that room with my pen 
my pencil, my pad, my secret Dakota pin, and the message from Annie herself. And I set the pin to B6. wrote down seven. The first letter was B. B. Six. E. That's a word. B-E. B. That's the first word. <laughs> Nine. S. Thirteen. U. Five. R. Eight. E. S-U-R-E. That's a word. Be sure. It's coming in. <laughs> Three, T. Twenty-two. Oh, be sure to. Fourteen, T. R, I, N. Nineteen, K. O, V. That day, I learned what radio and TV is about. Thank you. Gene Shepard, ladies and gentlemen, Gene Shepard. Gene Shepard can be heard on WOR radio doing his uh, stories like that every night. I appreciate his uh, coming here, as, as everybody does, and uh, he's a real friend of WNYC. He's been on the air many times, and we appreciate his coming here very much. Thank you.